0: Welcome to Wrestling With Theology. My name is Doug Minton. I am your host. I am the pastor at Redeemer Evangelical Lutheran Church in Robbinsdale, Minnesota, as well as a lifelong wrestling fan. Wrestling With Theology wrestles with the history of pro wrestling as well as the theology of the Lutheran Church. Today's wrestling profile is the Fabulous Freebirds. The Fabulous Freebirds were the greatest stable of the mid-80s. They are predominantly known for their feud with the Von and world-class. When most people hear the name, they automatically think of Michael Hayes, Terry Gordy, and Buddy Jack Roberts. They were the three main members of the stable in Dallas. Bill Watts brought Hayes and Gordy together in Mid-South in 79. Roberts was quickly headed to form a three-man gang to build on their individual strengths into great faces in Mid-South or heels in world-class and after. Their feud with the Von Eriks is definitely the cornerstone of what made 80s wrestling so great the great variety of different situations and stipulations that came out of this arrangement were wonderful. It didn't matter if there were outside influences such as Jimmy Garvin or as an unofficial Freebird or Iceman King Parsons and his feud with Buddy Roberts. The Freebirds were the main reason I watched World Class as a kid. Their wonderful matches with the Von Erickson friends were what I hoped wrestling would continue to be forever. When World Class started to flounder, the Freebirds moved on to the AWA to feud with the Road Warriors. They then came back to world-class for a short stint before landing in Bill Watts' Universal Wrestling Federation. There, they placed themselves as one of the top heel stables alongside Skandar Akbar's Devastation Incorporated. Gordy and Roberts held titles while Hayes found his calling as a color commentator beside Jim Ross. When Jim Crockett bought the UWF, Roberts began to step away from wrestling and Gordy found his prominence in Japan. Jimmy Garvin was officially brought into full membership as a freebird eventually they brought in Brad Armstrong as the Masked Brad Street. The Freebirds were last together in the Global Wrestling Federation with Hayes Gordy and Garvin. As a stable they held many titles in the tag team ranks, primarily as Hayes and Gordy. They held the Georgia Tag Team Titles, the National Tag Team Titles 3 times, the Mid-South Tag Team Titles twice, the GWF Global Tag Team Titles, the Mid-American Tag Team Titles twice, the American Tag Team Titles, uh, WCW's U.S. and World Tag Team Titles twice each, uh, the World Six-Man Tag Team Titles as Hayes, Garvin, and Bad Street in World Championship Wrestling, the World Six-Man Tag Team Titles six times in World Class. Hayes and Gordy were PWI's Tag Team of the Year in '81. Hayes and Gordy are also listed as PWI's number three tag team of all times, only behind the Steiner Brothers and the Road Warriors. Let's take a moment to look at each of the individual members and their achievements. After the Freebirds separated for good, Michael Hayes went back to the WWF as Doc Hendricks, the co-host of WWF's Action Zone. He would do many backstage interviews, but the most important and famous was the Austin 316 interview at the end of King of the Ring. He briefly managed the Hardy Boys. He is currently the head road agent for the WWE. Hayes had a good run as a singles wrestler as well. He held the NWA U.S. and United National titles. He is ranked number 56 in 92 and number 71 of all time. Terry Gordy left the Freebirds to make a name for himself in Japan. He made a successful tag team with Steve Williams, with whom he also feuded in UWF at the same time. He had a short run in the WWF as the masked executioner. Gordy died of a heart attack on July 16, 2001, at the age of 40. Gordy's run as a singles wrestler was the greatest of all the Freebirds. He held the UWF World Heavyweight title, the NWA American Heavyweight title, the NWA Brass Knuckles title, before going to Japan. In Japan, he held the All Japan Triple Crown twice and the World Tag Team title seven times, twice with Stan Hansen, five times with Steve Williams. Gordy and Williams also held the WCW World Tag Team titles once. Outside the Freebirds, Gordy also held the NWA National Tag Team titles with Jimmy Snuka and the Smoky Mountain Heavyweight title. Gordy and Williams were PWI's Tag Team of the Year in 92 and number 16 all-time. Gordy and Hanson are ranked number 34 all-time. Gordy himself is ranked number 36 all-time as a singles wrestler. Buddy Jack Roberts was the runt of the Freebirds. His nickname Jack came from his love for Jack Daniels. He began wrestling in 65. When the Freebirds split, he had been active in the ring for over two decades. Roberts was brought into Mid-South in 1970 to team with Jerry Brown as the original Hollywood Blondes. Roberts died of pneumonia on November 26, 2012 at the age of 65 after a long battle with throat cancer. As a freebird, Roberts won the television title in both World Class and UWF. The Hollywood Blondes held the AWA Southern, NWA Mid-Atlantic, North American, and Americas tag each once. They held the Florida Tag Team titles twice and the United States Tag Team titles from Tri-State Wrestling three times. As a singles wrestler, Roberts also held the Texas Heavyweight title, Southwest Heavyweight, and Television titles. He is ranked number 167 of all time by PWI. Jimmy Garvin was successful both in and out of the Freebirds. His success was spoken of highly even before his debut in World Class as the wrestler who had won more state titles than anyone else. Garvin is most well known for his valets, either Precious, his wife, or Sunshine, his cousin. He began wrestling in '68 as Bo James. He was brought into Mid-South and Florida with his storyline brothers Terry and Ron Garvin. Ron is actually Jimmy's stepfather. After his run in World Class, Garvin had a successful tag team with Mr. Electricity Steve Regal in the AWA. In '86, Garvin went to Jim Crockett Promotions, where he had one of his best feuds with Kevin Sullivan, before being brought back into the Freebirds in '89. Garvin is currently an airline transport pilot and is involved in a ministry for the poor and homeless with his wife and children. Garvin's accomplishments are about as long as my arm. His tag team titles include the AWA World Tag Team titles with Steve Regal, the Florida Global Tag Team Titles with Big John Studd, Florida Tag Team Titles with Steve Kern and Jack Briscoe, Florida's U.S. Tag Team Titles with Killer Cox, the Southern Tag Team Titles with Bob Ellis, His single titles include Bahamas, Florida twice, Florida Southern twice, Louisiana, the American heavyweight title four times, the Texas heavyweight title twice, and the world-class television title. Those are the main members. Now we get to the auxiliary members. Bad Street was the masked persona of Brad Armstrong in World Championship Wrestling. Brad is the son of Bullet Bob Armstrong and began his career in his father's southeastern or continental championship wrestling promotion out of Knoxville. He went on to Jim Crockett Promotions and had a major contribution to the USWA Smoky Mountain feud of 95-96. Armstrong was found dead on November 1, 2012. Armstrong's titles aren't as impressive as others, but they show he was an accomplished wrestler. He and Magnum TA, before he took on that name, were the Florida Global Tag Team Champions. The Armstrong family, whether Bob and Brad or Brad one of his brothers, held multiple tag team titles. Brad had a great tag team with Tim Horner as the Lightning Express, winning the national tag team titles and the UWF World Tag Team titles. He held the Mid-South North American heavyweight title, the national heavyweight title twice, The Continental Heavyweight title three times, Smoky Mountain Heavyweight title, USWA Heavyweight title, and the WCW Light Heavyweight title. He was PWI's Rookie of the Year at 81 and is ranked number 270 of all time. Iceman King Parsons took Hayes' spot for a while in world class as the Freebirds feuded with Hayes. During his time as a Freebird, Parsons won the Texas Heavyweight title. Parsons was a journeyman wrestler throughout his career. He focused his time on the Southern promotions, especially world-class and UWF. Outside of the Freebirds, Parsons held the GWF North American heavyweight title, the NWA American Texas title, the world-class world heavyweight title, and the world-class television title four times. He also had several tag team title reigns with partners like Rocky Johnson, Porkchop Cash, and Buck Zumhoff. The Angel of Death began wrestling in Calgary, where he feuded with Owen Hart. He also wrestled one half of the Russian Assassins with Jack Victory in 88. His biggest break, though, came as the Black Scorpion in WCW. He did the interviews while Al Perez and Ric Flair wrestled Sting. He was found dead in November 07. The Angel of Death's biggest title was world Class's Texas heavyweight title as a free bird. Steve Cox teamed with Hayes in world-class in a feud against the Samoan SWAT team. The tag team won the world-class world tag team titles twice during this feud. Cox is ranked number 330 all-time by PWI. Over the course of the years, the Freebirds had several prominent managers, starting off with Precious and Sunshine from Jimmy Garvin. Precious was the ring name for Garvin's wife, Patty, She came into wrestling with Jimmy. She followed Jimmy throughout his career. Precious's biggest match was probably the Tower of Doom match at Great American Bash 88. She retired from wrestling after Garvin left WCW. Sunshine was the ring name for Garvin's cousin Valerie French. She came into world class with Garvin, but was quickly replaced by Precious. She feuded with Jim Cornette and Missy Hyatt in 85. She also managed Lance Von Erich and Chris Adams before the Freebirds in their UWF feud with Missing Link and Dark Journey. Big Daddy Dink was the Freebirds' name for Sir Oliver Humperdink. Humperdink was well known as a manager during the 80s and early 90s. Besides the Freebirds, Humperdinck managed such wrestling stars as Bam Bam Bigelow, Greg Valentine, and Kevin Sullivan. Humperdink died on March twentieth, two 2011 from pneumonia and cancer. David Wolfe was Cindy Lauper's music manager and was instrumental in ending Fabulous Moolah's almost 30-year title reign as the WWF Women's Champion while manager of Wendy Richter. Little Richard Marley was more well-known as Rocky King in Mid-South and Jim Crockett Promotions in the late 80s. His tenure as Freebird manager was very short-lived. Diamond Dallas Page managed the Diamond Exchange in AWA especially Bad Company. He was signed by WCW to manage the Freebirds. He began wrestling when rumors came about that WCW wanted to break up the diamond mine. He would go on to have a good wrestling career that would earn him a ranking of number 65 all-time by PWI. He held the WCW World Heavyweight title three times, the U.S. Heavyweight title twice, the World Television title once, and the World Tag Team titles four times. He also held the WWF European title and the World Tag Team titles with Canyon. The Freebirds were also well known for what became known as the Freebird Rule. This was created by Bill Watts that allowed any two members of the three-man gang to wrestle in any match and defend any titles that they might hold. This rule has been used many times throughout wrestling history, including the Russians, uh, Midnight Express Demolition, Raven's Flock, Jersey Triad, the Beautiful People, New Day, the Wyatt Family, among many, many others. The Freebirds were definitely one of the greatest stables in wrestling history. I would put them up against any other stable there's ever been in wrestling, or ever will be. They were the innovators of the stable who set the bar very high for those who would come after them. Arn Anderson was famous for calling out the NWO, saying that the horsemen were the original gang. The Freebirds predate the horsemen. So I would say the Freebirds were the original gang. I'll be back in a moment as we dive into our Bible study into Exodus chapter 3. to our Bible study on Exodus chapter 3. Having this recorded in the Christmas season is very appropriate as Moses is being called to be a type of Christ at the burning bush. And As we get to the burning bush, we see Moses at the end of his second 40-year cycle in his life. He has three of them throughout 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in Midian, 40 years in the wilderness. St. Stephen, whose martyrdom we remember the day after Christmas, gives us this in his speech as he brings these three sections out in verses 23-36 through of chapter 7 of Acts. When he, being Moses, was forty years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he was the father of two sons. Now when forty years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, and a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, and of Isaac, and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. Now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for forty years. (coughs) Here we have St. Stephen's synopsis of what happens at the end of chapter 2, all the way through the end of the Pentateuch. As we have Moses and his 120-year life being laid out in the 40-year sections. So as we get to Exodus chapter 3, we are at the end of the you know, end of the second cycle, beginning of the third cycle. And even in the first verse, we have a couple of issues we have to take notice of. Uh, So Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Here we have an interesting issue. Because in Exodus chapter 2, verse 18, not but a couple of paragraphs earlier, his father-in-law's name was Raul. Now it says Jethro. Which one is it? Are they the same person? Probably not. Uh, Raúl in Exodus 2.18 is probably his father-in-law. Uh, Jethro would probably be his brother-in-law who took over his father's position as the priest of Midian in that 40-year stretch. <clears throat> the, the word used typically just means a relative by marriage. The other side is we have Moses at Horeb, the mountain of God. Whereas as we see going through here, the sign of God sending him is they come back on this mountain to worship him. And they come to Sinai. Horeb, Sinai, what's the difference between the two of them? Well, Horeb is the region and the group of the mountains in the southern peninsula of Sinai. Whereas Sinai is the actual mountain in the region of Horeb. So we have Moses tending the flock in the mountains of Horeb, but the individual mountain is Sinai. Now we go on into verses 2 through 6. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So we have the first instance of Moses having the angel of the Lord appear to him. And this is always a great controversy in Old Testament studies. Who is this angel of the Lord? Because it's not an angel of the Lord, it's the angel of the Lord. So the definite article gives us pause for a moment. The definite article shows us that this angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate Jesus. This is a manifestation of God to his people. He does it here in the bush, being on fire but not being burned, as the Israelites leave Egypt and wander through the wilderness, he is the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. These are all considered the angel of the Lord. This goes again when uh, we go back to Abraham and his talking with God over the fate of Sodom and Gomorrah, over the offering of Isaac, over the leaving the land of Haran to go into the land of Canaan. These were all done by the angel of the Lord. So the great miracle that God brings about here is that he appears in the flame in the bush, but the bush is not burnt. This is what draws Moses' attention because this is not the way things are supposed to be. This is one of the things that the parables of Jesus also do is that they have a regular story, but then something completely... Off and different happens in there something that nobody would expect so we have this burning bush which is burning but not being burned and this goes into the manifestation of God because God himself calls out to Moses 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 just as he will do later on to Samuel 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 and so on to all the great leaders of his people Now when he calls out to Moses, he tells him to take off his sandals. St. Stephen brings this point out as well, that he takes off his sandals because the ground that he is on is holy ground. This is a place that has been sanctified by God, which is why we have the practice of sanctifying our church buildings as being set aside for the use of God's people in the worship of of God, which is why we call our sanctuaries sanctuaries. They have been set aside. They are the places to be worshipful uh, for our God. And so he introduces himself. In verse 6: I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Now we go back to Moses' father. He is a member of the tribe of Levi. So He joins together not just the tribal affiliation, but now brings it back to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Jesus will go on to talk about this in saying that God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Because he talked about, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. This is very similar to... Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah is called to be a prophet, and we have this reading from the first few verses of Isaiah 6. In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. As Isaiah receives the vision of God on his throne in heaven, he is curled up in a fetal position, probably very much like Moses was on Mount Sinai. That this is the God of his father. This is the God that he was brought up by his mother, undoubtedly, as his nurse for Pharaoh's daughter. To eventually grow into worship this is the one where he this is the god with whom he associated because he wanted to be out with his brothers the children of israel but when you see god as he truly is you want to curl up the same moses will ask on this mountain months later to see the face of god and god will show him just his backside we read in Exodus 33, starting verse 17. The Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy upon whom I shall show mercy. But he said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see my face and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you will see my back, but not my face shall be seen. Moses wants to see the face of God. He wants to have this vision that Isaiah has. But even God says... I will hide you in the cleft of the rock. I will put my hand over you so that you cannot see, but I will show you my back. That you may see and live, but to see my face you shall not live. Thank you for your time and listening to this podcast. If you'd like to hear more, go back to our archives to hear the previous episodes of Wrestling with Theology, also hear Sunday morning sermons from Redeemer. If you are in the Twin Cities area on Sunday morning, you are welcome to join us at Redeemer Evangelical Lutheran Church at 4201 Regent Avenue North in Robbinsdale, just off of the corner of 42nd Avenue and Highway 100. Just look for Jesus blessing the travelers along the road. Our services are at 9 a.m. We have Bible study at 10.30 following the service, and with coffee hour in between. We encourage you, anytime you are in the area, to join us for worship and to wrestle with theology with them.